Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to episode number 30 of our Overtime production. Overtime is our weekly podcast where it gives us an opportunity to just dive a little bit deeper into the Christian Life Center's weekend messages. And so that's what we get the opportunity to do today. So thank you for joining us, whether you're joining us live on Facebook or on YouTube, or if you're listening to the podcast via our numerous podcast channels um, or watching from the website, man, we're really glad that you're here. We're listening on the website. Uh, really glad that you're here and thankful for that. Uh, the date that we are recording this is about um, May 13th, uh, or actually, excuse me, today is the 12th. I'm yeah, sorry. sorry. I looked at 12 and I added a day. I don't know why I did that, but we are live. Um, and uh, I do want to say we usually give kind of a update, some announcements really quick before we kind of dive into the message. Uh, last week, as we were talking, right now we're in the middle of the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. And so last week it was kind of looking optimistic. We were thinking that maybe we would be able to be back to normal scheduled services um, and where people can maybe start to attend or at least looking towards the planning of that. However, the governor of Pennsylvania did extend our um, stay home order through June 4th of mm -hmm. 2020. So it looks like we've got another four weeks of this. Um, it's kind of stinky, but also at the same time, we want to be wise and prudent and follow the recommendations of those that are placed in authority above us. So that is where we're at right now. So again, there's really no announcements other than anytime that we have anything that we can update you on, we will let you know as soon as possible via our website, um, via our email, through social media, like any way that we can, we're going to let you know what we can. So today I am joined with Christian Hessling. What's up, Christian? Hey, how are you, how are you man? It's good to see you. <laughs> It's good to see you I too, man. I haven't seen you like a year or two months. Yeah, it's, I feel like I haven't seen you in real life in a long time. But, yeah. uh, but it's good to see you. Um, Christian was the one that shared this past weekend's message. We are currently on a series called Philippians where we are working through the book of Philippians. Um, it's one of the letters that Paul wrote. So we are on week three, and that means that this past week we covered chapter three mm -hmm. of of Philippians. So, uh, Christian, do you want to kind of, before we jump into any questions that we might have, do you want to give us kind of a recap of what we talked about on Sunday? Yeah, I feel like I could take this whole hour just trying to recap. Um, but yeah, so Philippians... Try, try not to do that. Yeah, I'll try not to. I'll, I'll, we'll get to the end of it, and Ben will be like, okay, didn't ask any questions, but there we go. <laughs> Here, you just heard the sermon 2.0. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Philippians, a letter to Philippi uh, from Paul in prison. Things aren't looking so hot for him uh, he's in prison and he's writing to a church that's being persecuted um and he's writing to them uh I, I mentioned it at the beginning you know letters there was an occasion for letters a lot of the times there was something going on or a specific context to which the author would be writing similar to today you know if you send an email or if you send a text or anything like that there's oftentimes an occasion for it or it's just you know kind of randomly hey love you miss you stuff like that um, but what Paul is doing here, there's an occasion for his writing. Uh, he's wanting to connect with this church, which he founded. This is his first church that he founded. So that's like your first job that you really love. Uh, you have fond memories of it and you connect with those people. And so what he's doing, he's trying to connect with them. He loves them and he cares for them. He's trying to reassure them. I mentioned that the theme of the book is encouragement. Uh, and that comes in a variety of ways. And so, uh, but specifically for chapter three, which continues on in the other theme of joy. Uh, he's writing to this people and he's speaking to the circumstance of this group called the Judaizers. And they were coming through like after Paul would preach a sermon, they would like say, everyone stay, everyone stay. We got to, you know, really kind of put the bow on this. And uh, then they would give them a gospel that was just not correct. And 
it was primarily a gospel of works, specifically uh, reflecting Jewish law. It was the act of circumcision, which was an outward expression of an inward faith that they practiced. And they said to all these new Gentile converts who are new to this, they're like, hey, yeah, you know, Paul's right, but actually you have to do this. Um, but yeah. the problem is then that basis, it takes, it's what that says is this gospel is actually not by grace and faith alone, but it's by works. And that's so contrary to what Paul was saying to the church in Philippi. And so this letter, this part, this chapter uh, is really to help encourage them to remember what the gospel is. And we talked a lot about this idea of rejoicing. And I said that a scholar said it this way, it's to delight in God's grace. Because uh, I actually thought this is interesting. The Greek word for rejoicing and uh, grace are very similar. I mentioned they're cognates, meaning that's a fun word. I say that just so I can sound smarter. You do um, sound really smart thank when you, you say it, my that's friend. That's the only big word, nice word I have today. Um, but cognates are two words that sound very alike. And so it was a very real reality. Or it was probably possible that when they read the word rejoice, uh, it, um, it, since it was so similar to the word grace, in Greek, rejoice is kairo, and grace is charis. And so when they read that word rejoice, they would probably be thinking of the reason for their rejoicing, which is grace, God's grace, right? And so our role is namely to rejoice in God's grace. Uh, and yeah. when we truly rejoice in God's grace, um, everything else falls into place. Um, and Paul was reminding them like, yeah, you're being persecuted. Yeah, I'm in prison. And for us, we're in a pandemic, but we still have reason to rejoice because we are saved by faith uh, or by grace through faith. And so uh, in the midst of the life's most horrible circumstances, we have reason to hope. And so Paul is trying to write to them and encourage them, hey, rejoice, delight in God's grace. Uh, don't pay any mind to, you know, do, it wasn't don't pay any mind, but don't feel like you are obliged to obey and to earn salvation. That's not how this works. The gospel right, uh, right. is much better than that. And so, um, yeah, chapter three, I think in some, uh, and hey, I didn't take the whole hour, but in some, uh, <laughs> chapter three is to encourage them to remember that and to delight in the grace of God uh, and let that be the gospel that they turn to instead of a gospel where they have to earn it or have to work for it. So, uh, yeah. yeah, really trying to push back against that. Uh, those Judaizer preachers are really, uh, they were Jewish Christian missionaries in the first century. So he's really kind of calling them out. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we mentioned this in some of the other uh, overtime podcasts that we've done that it, this isn't really an exhaustive study. Like I remember mentioning this at least last week with Gary, is that really what we're doing is uh, I think that you could preach like entire, like, weeks and weeks and weeks upon these passages, but we are just taking one chapter a week. So would encourage you to kind of, if you haven't done so already, to read through the entire book, read through the entire chapter. Yeah. Um, and Christian, you did get through kind of all of the content, all of chapter three, yeah. reading through it, yeah. but there's so much more there. And so I do want to kind of dive into it and just sure. see kind of what we can pull out, see where we're maybe challenged, encouraged. Um, I do also want to remind everybody that if you ever have any questions, we would love to hear your questions, whether it's relating to the message that was just preached over the weekend, or if you just have questions in general, we'd love to be able to try and get to those questions. It really helps us shape kind of what these podcasts look like. Yeah. Um, we haven't had any uh, 
questions for the last few weeks or so. So that concerns me because then I'm always trying to come up with my own questions. And half the time, I think my questions are silly. But anyway, we'd love for you to, to help us engage in that. If you have any questions that we can help maybe specifically point you in a direction. And um, one of the things, maybe even before we jump into the content, you talked about a uh, kind of this letter that you got or you received that was from a prisoner in Kensington. So do you want to just kind of Tell people yeah. like what, what that was about and how you tied that into what you were talking about. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So a team, a previous ministry team that I got to serve with, we were working in Kensington, Philadelphia. Some of you may think Kensington and be like, oh, it's such a horrible place. Um, I just think it's, you know, broken as any other place. Maybe it's just more visible in Kensington than it is elsewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were walking through with my ministry team and stumbled upon this letter on the ground. And it was just like this piece of paper in an envelope. Um, but it was incomplete uh, because uh, it kind of starts and ends abruptly. And there's, you know, it like an incomplete sentence at the end. Uh, but yeah, I did read it. And I know some people are like, yo, that's a party foul, man. But, you know, we were in Kensington and found it. And I was kind of intrigued by it. Didn't see anyone that it could have belonged to. Um, and so I guess, I don't know if it was just curiosity or being a very nosy person, but, uh, I did end up reading it, but the contents were very, um, um, very encouraging. So it was a letter in the letter, the, the person who wrote it uh, kind of identified their circumstance that they were actually writing from prison and they're writing to someone in Kensington with the purpose of encouraging them, uh, and challenging them, but encouraging them. And so um, I just felt like that was very interesting and fitting. And I literally stumbled. It's been in my closet for the past year. And I stumbled on it four or five days before I'd be preaching on this. And I stumbled upon this other modern day letter from prison. Uh, and I just thought that was unique. And I think it was just kind of a, a, modern, um, a modern twist or a modern image of what that could look like. Because um, I think when we hear it from Paul... Um, like we're like, oh, like that's great, but we don't remember. Like it's from prison, and it's a really difficult situation. But even in the midst of that difficult situation, there was encouragement and goodness coming out of it. And so I just thought that that letter that I found was a, a reminder of that. So yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah, after you stole this person's, you know, half of their yeah, love yeah, letter yeah. or something. I hope they're too. not looking for it. That's I really fine. Hope they're not looking if, for it. If you get any emails about it, please let us know. We yeah. want to hear the follow up. If there's another story that goes with yeah, that story, right. somebody we'll threatens you from prison or something. We'll I don't find know. Out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I did think that you're right. It is kind of like a modern day thought. Like it's it's different because yeah. all of a sudden, I guess what you think of is that man. That's something personal that was sent from somebody in a situation that you don't necessarily understand with. Yeah. But I think that that is exactly it is that this letter was something that was very personal to Paul, to the yeah. people that he was writing it to yeah. and the encouragement that he was giving there, like as he was in prison and it's not sure if it, you know, if he was in prison and if he had made, made it yet to Rome or if he was kind of on his way yeah. to Rome, but he was in prison and it just, it, I did think that what it does is it takes this idea of something that we talked about in church, but it makes it a little bit more real. Like yeah. when you think of it, like from this letter point of view, it just changes how you view that. So I yeah. thought that that was pretty good. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of kind of things that are happening there. And I think you're right. I think that encouragement is one of the major themes. Um, as you look at the book of Philippians, man, you see joy and rejoicing yeah. so much. Like yeah. that is probably the main theme of it. And I think in order to do that, like in the difficult circumstances, it comes down to perspective. Yeah. 
uh, of what you're seeing. And I really loved what you said. The, the act of rejoicing is delighting in God's grace. I thought that that was a really good point that you were making there. Um, and that's really in, in verse one. Um, and then you said this joke that you said that Judaizers uh, were throwing so much shade that they had to take their shades off. Um, well, what do you mean by that? And I just actually want to make fun of your dad yeah, joke. There. I know, so I know. can I, you explain I, that a little bit? Yeah. So it was actually Paul who's throwing shade. Um, yeah. So uh, it was a really bad. Joke. It was such a bad joke that I couldn't remember. I know, who it I know, was. I know. I think pro I, I got everybody off track because they were just uh, discouraged that I would share such a, a lame joke. Um, the truth. Yeah. So right in that moment, like uh, Paul's infuriated, right? Um, not as angry as he was when he wrote Galatians, but uh, he's just angry at these people who would come in behind him and ruin this gospel of grace, right? Uh, essentially just taking the gospel and throwing it in the trash. I mean, that's what they're doing. Um because they're changing it. They're saying you have to do it by works. And so he calls them some pretty offensive derogatory terms. Uh, calls them dogs, which was really, really offensive in that time. But it's to make his point, like, you guys are doing horrible things. Like, if anyone is the bad guy here, it's you guys. Uh, even you, you think that your initiative and that your movement is good, but you are causing and creating great harm. Um, so you guys are dogs. You guys are the evil workers in this story. Uh, and he really is trying to drill the point home. And he's trying to, you know, as the founder of the church in Philippi, they would look to Paul for guidance, right? He's the one who created that establishment, that that um, that community of believers. And so they trust him, or at least you'd hope that they trust him over the Judaizers. And so when he calls them dogs, they're probably like, oh, maybe, you, ouch, like we should not listen to these guys, right? We should not accept what they're saying. Um, and so he throws a lot of shade. He's throwing some, you know, heavy words their way rightfully so because they're preaching a gospel that's contrary uh to what the gospels actually are and so um yeah through a lot of shade i i, I won't do any bad jokes like that anymore <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't believe that yeah but anyway yeah, that's we'll, we'll, we'll still love you so i think that i don't know I, as i'm sitting here thinking about it i feel like i have a, a history of of thoughts um but can you maybe so for somebody listening and you hear the circumcision, first of all, that's a little bit uncomfortable. Some of yeah. us might be like, oh gosh, how do it's we do weird. that? Can you maybe even talk about the significance? Like, why was that such a big deal? Like, uh, okay, so when Jesus came, he established the new covenant and that wasn't necessary. But maybe even going back to the Old Testament, why was circumcision such a big deal that here we find the New Testament, they're still wanting to practice that uh, for these new converts? Yeah. Like. What, what made circumcision such an important thing yeah. that they would want to carry that forward? Because yeah. it doesn't seem all that great. Yeah, uh, great question. Um, so I don't know specifically like the origins of circumcision, but I'll speak to Jewish law in that time. Um, so under the old covenant or when, you know, when God was first trying to make a way for his people, you know, the community of Abraham, it all started with Abraham. Now there's this whole... Uh, community, this whole nation of people, the Israelites, um, whom God is continuously trying to have a relationship with. Uh, he's continuing, uh, trying to be their God, the God of the Israelites. Um, and so the law was merely a tool to help that become possible, or at least maybe a gauge on how they're doing. So, um, for example, like when the, the Ten Commandments, it was the origin of the law, I, I believe it was the Ten Commandments. Uh, and it was, I kind of see the Ten Commandments as guardrails for the good life right? Guardrails for if you want to experience life to the fullest, if you want to experience 
life in communion with God and in communion with your neighbor. Um, adhering to these laws isn't isn't intended to ruin your fun or to to uh, be a killjoy, but it's intended to be guardrails so that you know the parameters of creation, that you know what is good and what doesn't lead to pain, what doesn't lead to death. And so guardrails, just like they keep a car on a road, um, they're intended to kind of keep us on the path that God has for us, right? Uh, if we, you know, if we adhere to those guardrails. Um, and when we do, it's understood, like, life is better when you don't kill people. Life is better when you don't do all of these other things, right, that uh, create harm and havoc and create fissures in our relationship with God and each other. And so the Ten Commandments were like the OG commandments. They were the originals. And then I, if I'm remembering correctly, and you could probably speak to this, Ben, I believe in response, like, there was the guardrails, the primary Ten Commandments, but then uh, the nation of Israel is like, we need to make, like, a second set of guardrails um, just in case, like, you know, or actually the, the Ten Commandments would be on the outside and their law, the Jewish law, would be on the inside because they don't want anyone even getting close to approaching, uh, breaking the Ten Commandments. So let's create another set of guardrails on the inside so that they don't even get close to breaking those. And so they created hundreds of laws, very uh, laws that had to do with cleanliness, um, had to do with um, kind of temple rituals and just there were hundreds of them. Uh, and included in there were like uh, dietary laws and circumcision and Sabbath were kind of like the three, uh, the big tunas, if you want to call it that. Um, and so, yeah, what, what you I, I was just going to say, so, uh, and I'm sorry, dude, I feel like I set you up for that. No, you're uh, good. I just threw him a curveball. Like I didn't tell him any questions. I just went yeah, by. It's true. But, he, yeah. So here I am going into like Jewish history here, at least my understanding yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like as as you're talking through that, that was established with Abraham. And so that was even yeah. before the law and before Moses. Yeah. But what that did was that set apart That's true. Okay. Abraham and therefore it set apart Israel as God's chosen people. And so yeah. it, it, it seems weird because when you understand what circumcision is and the cutting away of foreskin, you're going, uh, why would yeah. God ask for that? Why but is that necessary? Really, yeah. it makes sense in a culture and... Yeah, in a culture that yeah. really values like children um, very highly, like as part of possession, like it would make sense that God would even say, in, kind of in the in the very process of that, that even in that, God is saying, "Hey, you are set apart for yeah. a holy purpose. Like this is to to make you different from the nations around you." But yeah. then also to kind of echo what you were saying, there was a ton of different. Um, when the law does show up and when God kind of gives these commandments and it's established by him, like all of those things were also to help point people to what was good. Because yeah. nowadays we, we do circumcision because hygiene wise, that tends to be better, yeah. right? Like that's what, what science has proven, or at least I believe it's science or I'm yeah. just making stuff up here. One of the two. Um, but like, there's, there's a significance to that that can actually be beneficial. And so, yeah, yeah I think that it's interesting that as, so from the Old Testament, and then you get into the New Testament, as Christ establishes this new covenant, what God does is he changes our hearts. It's yeah. not about the external that God changes. It's not the physical that he changes, but he changes our hearts from yeah. a heart of stone to a, a, a heart that is turned towards God. And so it's it almost seems normal that somebody that's coming to faith in this newfound, what would be Christian faith, but it was for the Jews. So yeah. they would say, okay, well, you would have to do that because that's part of the old, but Christ actually came yeah. to fulfill the law and to say you are set apart, but it's not by outward 
appearance or things that you do, yeah. but it's by a turning of your heart towards him. So, yeah. yeah. And I'm sorry if I set you up for a question, dude, that no, like, it's all good. I then, I then changed the direction of, I, no, that was good. not my intention. And I was going to say, you like see that all the time in Jesus ministry too, where, uh, Jesus would preach a gospel that is very contrary to, you know, what would be happening. Like, uh, when he'd heal people on the Sabbath, um, they would say, Hey, you're breaking the Sabbath. Like you're breaking the law. And Jesus would say, okay, one, you're understanding that very incorrectly because it's a bigger evil to not serve your neighbor on the Sabbath than it is to just disobey the Sabbath, right? And Jesus wasn't disobeying it. Um, Sabbath is for rest. But anyway, it's not sermon on Sabbath. But all that to say is Jesus was constantly pushing against um, just kind of this uh, a community of people who were trying to reinstitute and kind of hold on to um, this kind of old covenant type living. Uh, and not to say that those things are inherently bad. Like, I don't think they are, but right, salvation right. isn't by those means anymore. Salvation is by right. a new means and it's grace. And for that reason, uh, we can rejoice. And so that's why Paul's so angry when he's saying, uh, this is how, what salvation is. It's faith, grace, and circumcision. And he's like, that's not it anymore. You guys are not getting it. Um, and so, yeah, he, he had to correct them pretty sternly. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I don't even fault the Jews because even when you think of Peter, like uh, this vision that he has of God lowering the sheet down with all, all types of unclean animals and him telling Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's going, no, we can't do that. Those oh, are unclean. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. your law said we can't do that. Yeah. And now all of a sudden what has happened is that God has changed what was. He's, or I shouldn't even say changed. He's fulfilled what was. And so therefore, there's this change that's happening for the Jewish believers that there's a new reality that they're living into because of what Christ has done. And so I think that that's even part of it. But you're right. As Paul has experienced Christ, as he's encountered him, uh, he's, he's begun to preach this gospel that now he's accepted of that change, that it's no longer by an outward circumstance or an outward appearance or outward yeah. things but it's by what god has done by grace that he's adamantly preaching because his ministry wasn't just to jews he would yeah. try and speak to jews but his his ministry was primary to primarily to gentiles yeah. those that were outside of the jewish faith and so for yeah. him to go hey this is he's really spearheading this new direction yeah. like church hasn't done this before yeah. like i mean he is establishing the church yeah now all of a sudden for other people to come in to add to it i can imagine the frustration that 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 yeah. creates and the tension that that builds I'd say that he is that upset yeah and that's like pretty natural like um gosh i, I think if we were in that time we might be similar to the judaizers and that like okay this is like what yeah. we know this is what we're used to and this is what it is uh, and I mentioned even today, like we are a, a society of performance, right? A society of grades. Yeah. Um, most things in life, we, are, we feel like we're evaluated on, whether it's grades or job, um, job reviews or, gosh, uh, I don't know, even like the speed limit is kind of a, a, a guardrail that you would have to adhere to. I'm not saying speed and do what you want. Like you don't have to obey that. But what I'm saying is like everything in life is kind of based on <laughs> performance in some degree and so this idea that we are free from that uh in regards to salvation is liberating um but the problem is a lot of us don't feel free and we kind of take our this mentality of i have to perform at work i have to perform at school i have to perform as a parent uh then we naturally say i have to perform as a christian and i have to do all these things just like in every other capacity to earn my salvation but that's not it at all and paul's trying to uh, suggest other than that and so all that to say uh, gosh, I, it's not surprising that we 
might be like the Judaizers in that regard. Uh, I know I wrestle with that sometimes, thinking that my um, salvation is based on how good I am, but that's not the case uh, because yeah. if that were, uh, I would be done for. Like, you know, we are all broken and messy uh, and we wouldn't make it, uh, you know, next to Christ. Yeah. So um, we have reason to rejoice because yeah. it is by faith and grace alone. So, uh, yeah. And and so Paul, like as he's he's opening up this chapter three and um, says he puts no confidence in the flesh. Um, his confidence is in God's work on the, what he's done on the cross, not in the flesh. Um, and then, and then he kind of goes into this interesting area where he starts to like boast in his heritage, if you will. Like he, he kind of talks about a little bit and not much, like, I think it's elsewhere in the new Testament that he actually expounds on this and makes it a little bit bigger, but he starts to kind of talk about his heritage, but then he, his direction of talking about it is going that it means nothing to him. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit about like what, who was Paul? Like what was his heritage that yeah. he would be proud of that? And then why the change? I, I, well, I guess we've already talked about why the change, the yeah. change is because of what Christ has done, but yeah. uh, I guess who he was before and, and his heritage and why he could have boasted in that. Yeah. So I think what he's like making a comment about is like, if he were a Judaizer, he'd be the best one, right? Um, yeah. Like in his former life, when he was Saul, before he encountered Christ, you could basically call him a Judaizer because he, he was all about what they're about. And he was all about, like he was so passionate and zealous about it. Um, and so I feel like he's almost identifying with them in this moment. He's like, hey, I was yeah. you once. I was the best Judaizer there was. Uh, he says he was an Israelite, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, he was a Pharisee, a zealot, and he was obedient. And so he's establishing himself, his credentials here. Um, you know, it's like if someone, it's like if you're at a business meeting and the most credentialed person walked in the room and you knew their credentials, you'd probably listen to them, right? Uh, if that, yeah, there's someone right. that, you know, they did everything perfectly, they had no flaws with what they did, and they just had the most experience, naturally you'd be inclined to listen to what they say. And so Paul is establishing himself as the most credentialed person in the room. He said, I was an Israelite, uh, you know, I was circumcised on the eight days. So I did that already. I was, um, and my family's, you know, they're following the Hebrew traditions, the Hebrew law uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. Like that's an awesome tribe to be from. Uh, a Pharisee. It's a great name, by the way, as well. I just want to throw that out there. If you're thinking about what you should name your child, Benjamin is a great biblical, strong name. Just, and on just, that note, we're going to end the Overtime continue. podcast today. We'll see you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's no, right. Whatever, Ben, whatever. Christian's the name of Christ. Just remember that. Um, uh, so uh, so let me see. Um, so f- he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee, meaning he knew the law. Like he knows exactly what they're talking yeah. about. And Pharisees know it like the back of their hand. Like they know the law. And not only do they know it, they obey it. And Paul and I guess Saul at the time did just that. And so what he's trying to do is he's establishing himself as the most credentialed person at the table. And he's saying, and they all know it to be true. Like they know him and they're like, yeah, you know, we know these things about Paul. I can't argue with that. He's pretty credentialed. And so what he's trying to do, not only for the church in Philippi, for them is to say, hey, listen to me, I'm credentialed. But then also uh, he's trying to tell, maybe communicate to the Judaizers in this way, because he knew the Judaizers would also read this since he called them dogs, right? Uh, and he's saying, hey, I'm the most credentialed person here, and I want to tell you all this very thing, that all of my credentials are nothing compared to Christ. Right. All of my accomplishments, 
amount to nothing next to the work that God has done on the cross. Um, every, and again, as the most credentialed person here, what I want to tell you is that none of it matters. Uh, and that's like someone saying that about all of our accomplishments in life today. What good are they if they don't, um, if we don't have Christ, right? Uh, and I know that kind of sounds yeah. like, wow, negative Nancy over here, just a really uh, sad prospect. But really, if you think about it, like all of our accomplishments, a uh, hundred years from now, what what good are they? What do they right. matter um, if we do not boast in Christ and His work on the cross, right? Um, right. And so Paul's trying to remind them, like, don't boast in your credentials, like, because they won't matter in a hundred yeah. years. Uh, they're all trash. In fact, yeah, he calls them trash. In the original Greek, it's dung, uh, and it's just a really gross word to refer to. And I think he yeah. calls it. I think he gets so strong against it because the best thing, or I guess what those credentials can do is they can distract us from the one thing that does matter, right? Which is Christ. Right, right. And so he goes as far as calling them dung um, because of the prospect of them distracting him from the one thing that matters, which is Christ. Uh, and I don't think right. he's trying to say like, those are all bad things, right? Uh, as I mentioned on uh, the, this last weekend, those are all like really good accomplishments. And I'm not saying, right. look at your life accomplishments now and throw them in the trash. Like I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is if we try and bank on those or if we prioritize over the gift that God gives us of life and grace and salvation, yeah. then they are trash because, uh, again, what matters most in 100 years is that we, um, we've received this gift of grace and that we delight in it in the meantime. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I think that's that's so good. I feel like uh, seven and eight have always been a pretty, like, pretty powerful, like, Philippians, I think, again, it's got so many good I'll call them like the coffee mug, Christian coffee mug, like verses in them that they just, you can make t-shirts out of them and you yeah. can post them everywhere and you can put them in graduation cards. There's so much going on. Seven and eight has always been a challenge to me because it, it challenges me. What, are, what is my perspective? Like, what am I focused on? And just, again, I just want to read it. We've been talking about it. It says, but whatever uh, gains, uh, and in six, he ends like his zeal for persecuting the church, righteousness based on the law. He was faultless or perfect. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I could say that, but Paul did. And then he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So everything that once was important to me, everything that once was what I strive for now is, is nothing like, and then he continues, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage or dung, as you said, Mm -hmm. that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that comes from uh, uh, I went into nine that I may gain Christ. I just, yeah. I'll end it there. But I think that that's so important because I think you're right. Like it, it doesn't mean that the things that we accomplish, the, the, the thing that we've done in our lives, it doesn't mean that they're terrible, but when you can compare them to the knowledge of who Christ is, there should be a far gap from, from knowing Christ and then any other accomplishment that you've yeah. done here on earth, because yeah. What is the most important thing within your life? And hopefully that's your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what he's preaching. That's what he's telling the church in Philippi. That's what he's telling these loved brothers and sisters of his that if it all ends in these accomplishments, then it's a waste, right? Like it's, you've just wasted your time. Yeah. Um, and I think you, let me, word. Uh, yeah, as I wrote one of the things you said, if it ends here, it's all wasted. All good things, if it ends without Christ, um, 
it, they're all good things, but if it ends without Christ, what's the point of it? Only Christ brings salvation. Yeah. And that's what Paul has got this laser focus of being yeah, able to kind of sort out what is important and what is not. And he just has a way of his perspective is different because I, I don't think that, at least in my life, I don't see very many Paul examples yeah. uh, in like today's day and age, right? Like he, he was able to kind of just a, a laser focus on this is what we strive for. This is what we go for. And everything else doesn't matter. Everything else is rubbish or dumb because it takes away from that. Yeah. Um, and then he says in verse 10, kind of continuing on, is that he wants to know the power of Christ. Or let me just go ahead and read this, this verse so that I don't say it wrong. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. As, as I read through that, I guess my question for you is going, man, that is a scary prayer. Like, yeah. I do want to know the first part of that. I want to know uh, the power of his re- resurrection. I'm not so sure if I can pray. I want to part and participate in his suffering. Like, yeah. I don't know. What do you think is going on there that Paul would be able to say that? Like yeah. how to, and then I guess the, the side to that, the application point is how do we begin to pray those prayers? Not just the way that we say it because it's scripture, but yeah. we actually mean that we want to suffer with Christ. So yeah. can you kind of elaborate on that verse? Yeah. So I think it's multi-layered. Um, yeah. Cause I think it's both theological and even pragmatic. And so let me try and kind of unpack that a little bit. And so um, it's language that we don't use nowadays. Like some people read that and they're like, what does it mean to, uh, to experience resurrection and suffering like or the power of you know or becoming like him in his death because that's just not you know no one talks like that nowadays and so if you're you know watching and you're like what what does that mean you're in good company um, I think yeah. so from uh, I'll give two perspectives then I'd love to hear your thoughts on this Ben um, I think it is there's two layers here the one is theological this idea of dying to ourselves is the theme we see in scripture a lot um, and, and it's this idea of, you know, um, I'm going to give my life over to him in Romans when Paul's writing his more formal theology to Rome. He's saying we're living sacrifices, meaning that I'm alive, um, but all of my life is given to God in sacrifice. Every ounce, every inch of my life is God's for God to use for God's glory. Uh, and so I like that phrasing a little better. And so when I kind of see... Um, becoming like him in his death. I feel like dying to ourselves is one layer to that, you know, giving all of ourselves to God. But then a second part is, you know, he could very well be referring to uh, even a specific death of like persecution or something like that. Um, And so uh, what he's inviting them to do is like when we're lit, whether we're living or we're dying, we're giving our lives to God. We are dying to ourselves. We are offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God, uh, whether we're, once again, we are living uh, and we're dying because there's a very real possibility he's thinking that he's in prison. I mean, he there's a very real chance right. that he's got his death on his mind. Like they could kill me. Right. I might actually not make it out of here. So if this is my last letter to this church, I want to invite them in living and in death. Um, if the, if I'm dead when they're reading this, I want them to know um, that you know when we participate in the death of Christ, then we get to experience the resurrection of Christ. Like one day, and this is a hope that we all have. Like we're all. We're all going to die. Don't mean to get so existential, very out of the blue. But that's just a very real reality of life. Uh, um, but the hope is that we have is that um, we'll experience death. But 
will also experience resurrection. Don't know what it'll be like, but I know it's going to be good. And Paul is trying to remind them here um, that, you know, in the meantime, let's participate in the death, and but then the resurrection of Christ. Uh, and that he makes that his one goal in living and in death to offer himself to God uh, and to rejoice in the meantime. So I don't know. That's my take on it. I'll be honest. I didn't. Um, I kind of camped out a little more at the beginning of this passage because I, I think I was a bit more yeah. intrigued uh, about that portion. So I didn't read as much about this latter portion, but that's kind of my take on that. I'd be interested to hear if you have anything to add or take away. We welcome that too. Yeah, I, I, I feel like part of my thoughts have been shaped by uh, Matt, Matt Chandler. He's a, uh, a pastor in a, at a, a church in Texas. Um, got a great book called To Live as Christ, To Die as Gain. In fact, it's literally sitting right here on my desk. <laughs> um, so I feel like he's shaped a lot of that. He's got like a 13-week series on Philippians. And I think the reality is, is uh, like, so so some of my thoughts are shaped by him, and then some of them are just mine. Like, I think the, the truth is, is that Paul was, he was a fanatic. Like, he was a radical Christian. Like, if we want to use those words, those yeah. terminology, like, uh, and those have kind of a negative connotation to it. Like, don't be a Jesus freak. Like, that was what they said back in the 90s, right? Like, yeah. don't do that. Like, that's 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 overboard. But Paul was that to a crazy level. He was a fanatic. Like, he gave his life for this. And so I, even that scripture verse, to live is Christ and to die is gain, which is in Philippians 1, I think that Paul had such a, a different perspective of this, of going, hey, if I live, man, it's for your benefit. But if I die, man, that's to my game. Like I get to go see my heavenly father. And I can't help but wonder if that's part of the conversion because in, I think it's Acts 9, it's either 9 or 10. I'm pretty sure that it's 9. When when Saul has this conversion and he's known then as Paul, it, it says in there that like as God was talking to Ananias, this person that goes and has a conversation with Saul and prays over him and things like fail, uh, scales fall from his eyes, one of the things that, that God says to Ananias is that he will show Saul how much he would suffer for his name. And so I can't help but just simply speculate. Did Paul know that eventually he would be killed? Like he would be persecuted for his faith? Is that, did he know that that's how he would die? Like maybe God showed him that. Maybe not. This is complete speculation on my part. We don't know exactly what God showed Saul in that time. But what we do know is that God was going to use him as a tool for the Gentiles. And so I think when Paul said words like, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain, I think he actually meant it. Like, hey, if I live, that's for your benefit. And that's that's cool. But if I die, that's to my gain. Yeah. And so even, even in these verses saying, I think that when he says he wanted to know the power of the resurrection and participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, I think that he I think that that was accurate because I think there's also something, and, and I do, I agree with what you're saying. I think that there's a level of while he's here on earth, he wants to experience that resurrection power that Christ yeah. has, but yeah. also be there in his sufferings, whether it's living or dying. But like, I think that he meant it on the utmost level of, yeah. because I think that he experienced persecution. He experienced that. Experience and I would that. argue that there's something that happens in experiencing persecution that draws you to a more intimate relationship with Christ. Yeah. And I think that Paul, part of the reason that Paul was so laser focused was because he had an intimacy with Christ that comes maybe, I don't know if this is a great argument or not, but I think that intimacy that he experienced only comes through the persecution that he endured. Yeah. 
Like, because when he talks about the, the ways that he was, he was whipped three times, he was whipped uh, within a lash of his life, like yeah. 39 lashes and he was beaten with rods and he was shipwrecked. And like, he gives this long list. I think it's in first Corinthians. Yeah. Um, uh, I could be mistaken on that, but he gives a long list of ways that he's kind of endured. Like he, he endured a ton. And I think that in that enduring, even as he writes this letter, you see this joy that is almost unheard of. Like who is rejoicing and joyful in the midst of persecution and suffering? Well, Paul, I think could be because, and we'll get to that in chapter four of like, because he's learned to be content in every circumstance in every situation. And so in that, I think he's experienced God on a level that very few people have and that he truly does want to know the, the resurrection of Christ but also share in his suffering because honestly, that's what Paul was called to. Yeah. I think on some level, I don't know how much he knew. Maybe this is, again, that's just speculation on my part, but, but, but it's verses like that, that are, I guess for me, as I was, as a teenager, as I'm growing up, like, man, I want to be able to, to live in such a way that Paul was able to, like, I want to say these words and not just say them because I'm supposed to, or because it's in the Bible, but say them with the conviction that it appears that Paul has, like yeah. he's not, cause he does die a martyr. He does die in Rome. Like he dies for his faith. And I want to be able to know the power of Christ's resurrection and share in his suffering on some level too. I'm not sure if yeah. in the moment I'll want to share in that suffering, but I, I think that there's a lot going on there. Do you think, uh, I was going to ask, do you think um, people love like Paul now, but do you think if Paul were like a real person walking amidst us today, people would hate him? <laughs> like, because, I, I do think so. Yeah, because, you know, he. it's great when it's on paper, like all of this inspiring, yeah. like uh, awesome stuff of this man giving his life to God. But like, what if Paul was in our church today and he was – the same Paul with the same message and then living out the methods in front of our eyes. I'm sure some people yeah. uh, who like him on paper may be like, this guy's got to go. He's a little too over the top. But this Yeah, this guy's a fanatic. He's he's yeah. insane. Like, oh, here comes Paul. He's going to tell me about this again. Yeah. Like, or, I'm sure. It's interesting just to kind of think sometimes about that disconnect. And I think we have to hold ourselves accountable to, uh, to really consider what does it look like to take his message, not only to heart, but to – uh, live it out in a similar fashion that he yeah. is, right? Um, anyway, I was just kind of thinking about that as you were sharing a little bit about him. I was like, man, I don't... yeah, <laughs> this is interesting. Yeah, I, I would, I would be, man, I, I would so want to see what does that look like because it's, it's also when I think of Paul when, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he basically says uh, that saying, "Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good." Like, I want to see yeah. how that balance looked in Paul's life because. Yeah. Paul was also the guy that when he went ministered that he didn't, I think it was again, the church in Corinth, like he, he, when he was ministering there, when he was pastoring there, he was also making tents because that's how he was making a living. So he didn't want to burden the people. So he's on some level, he's got awareness. It's not like he's not aware. Um, But this, this desire to live for Christ is first and foremost in his life. So I, I would, I'm very eager and anxious to learn, like, what did that, what did that, that look like in the day-to-day life? Yeah. You know, was Paul just a normal guy chilling or 
would he be the guy that we're like, oh boy, here comes Paul. He's going to tell me about this again. And Who's that guy? I don't want to hear it for the 16th time. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. He'd so, be the guy to like anyway. email you theology all day. <laughs> Right, maybe I don't know. Anyway, not that that's a bad I don't know. Thing, but. He he probably would be. Imagine how many letters he could get out today if, if they had, had email, email back right? Then. Imagine Paul yeah. emailing or on Facebook. Oh gosh. Yeah. Anyway, that's just, that's a fun thought to have. To yeah. just wonder what Paul would look like in today's day and age. Um, yeah, I feel like that was a really fun discussion. At least for me. Hopefully, you guys that are watching this or listening to this, you enjoyed that as well. If not. Sorry. Sorry. You're the one <laughs> who chose to be here. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like I'm so far from my notes. Um, okay. How we got, we got about 15 minutes left on time yeah. or whenever we run out. So, um, yeah. So you talked about two groups of people, the Judaizers and the hypocrites, um, talking about the gift of grace. I'm mm-hmm. trying to kind of search for what my next question is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, two two things that you said. You said our task is to delight in the grace of God, and then we boast in Christ, not in our accomplishments. Like, and I think that I wrote down your applications, and I might have missed your third one. Uh, so I want to get to them in a second. But any, any other thoughts? I guess just from one to twenty-one, this entire chapter that right. you didn't maybe get to talk about over the weekend, or any added thoughts that you've had since then. Um, from this chapter. Yeah. So, um, I wanted to mention, uh, I know sometimes, I don't know, it's hard to sum up. Um, so what Paul is saying, uh, I think in this whole chapter is that, um, we do not, we can't earn our salvation, right? Um, there's nothing you can do that will help better your chances at salvation. There's another passage in the old Testament that says, even your best, you at your best, Paul at his best with all of his accomplishments, uh, accomplishments is like a dirty rag and uh, the context for that is even really gross and disgusting um, and so uh, it's by faith and grace alone but then I think sometimes what happens here is uh, people then grow apathetic and passive and they they start to use grace as a get out of jail free card essentially mm-hmm. like I can get away with anything now um, because of God's grace. And let me tell you, God's grace is good. And it covers our brokenness and our messiness and our stupid decisions. Um, however, uh, if if we really believe, and this is where it gets kind of tricky because it's not, a, it's not salvation by works, but if you truly believe in something, if you truly profess to believe in something, uh, like as good as grace naturally, like organically, uh, if you truly believe it, naturally it, it shapes you. Kind of like that metaphor that I use, or C.S. Lewis's metaphor of like God comes in to shape you. Like if you truly believe in grace, then naturally you'll want to let God in and then God will change you from the inside out. Because um, the, the mark of grace uh, is the process of transformation. God does work through grace. Um, not so that, not that you, like there's no work that you need to do on your part for salvation, Um, but it doesn't mean that we like live, we're off the hook. We can do whatever we want type thing. And that's where it kind of gets, it gets complicated to discuss because people are like, well, then it's faith by works. Like, no, it's not faith by works. Um, but if you truly believe it, uh, believe in this grace, uh, then naturally it should, the byproduct of that belief should be a life that is being transformed by God regularly. Right. Right, right. Um, I, I, I don't have the resource with me, but a great book I would recommend that talks about this perfectly in my opinion, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. Chapter one, he calls it cheap grace 
and costly grace. Cheap grace is uh, this idea of, you know, I can get away with anything I want to. Um, and that's a really cheap way to treat the gift that God's given us. Or costly grace is this idea of that was a very costly gift that God has given us. And when we truly recognize that and believe it, then that should naturally begin to transform how we think, how we live, mm-hmm. and all those things. So I wanted to mention that because I don't I don't want to suggest um, that it's a get out of jail free card. I think that's yeah, also right. spitting on a gift that is really profound. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I want it is it is a it is a gift, and there's no work that needs to be done. Um, one if that yeah. gift infiltrates us and fills us up, uh, if we accept it authentically, uh, whatever that looks like, then it should it should produce. Uh, change in our lives and then uh, another comment and then if you have any other thoughts you can add them um, delighting in the grace of God that's like a you know how do you do that necessarily how do you delight in God's grace um, that's kind of complicated but one thing I would say like because there's a cognitively like understanding God's grace and trying to like remind yourself of it um, there's that component but then and this is just my my personal opinion on how we delight in God's grace because you can hear that invitation be like all right, so it's like a Monday morning and I'm really angry because my child's, you know, internet's not working and they need to be in class right now. Like, how do I delight in God's grace right now? What does that look like? I think it's just um, letting God's grace speak to every moment in our lives. Um, So in every moment in life, we know that God's grace is available. We know that God's gift, God's love, God's affection, God's care, God's forgiveness is available to us. And then allowing that truth to permeate my life today. And so um, we're in a pandemic. I, I've been finding actually that I've been a little more prone to anxiety and stress. Uh, and what I have to do is just literally stop and say, okay, like God's good. God's gracious. God's with me in this moment. And God loves me. So I identify it. And then I let that truth kind of shape my circumstances a bit. And so um, I try and release anxiety and worry. Try and, uh, you know, not be so caught up in uh, these petty things. Uh, a student of mine formerly said, uh, don't uh, don't sweat the petty things, pet the sweaty things. And he was referring to like petting his nasty dog and stuff. It was really funny, but it just stuck with me. Don't sweat the petty things. Like, gosh, God's grace speaks to all things. And it's okay to get upset and, stuff, and you know, to experience the emotions that God's given us. But let's remind ourselves, let's delight in the fact that, yeah, this stinks right now. Um, but we have something to look forward to. And um and God has made a way for us to enjoy eternity with him. So um, I hope my sharing all that didn't make it more confusing or nuanced. I'm trying to provide clarity, but it's a very, it's, I mean, it's a, there's a lot to it in that conversation, I think, but it's as simple as, hey, just remember uh, that God loves you so much and there's nothing you gotta do for it, nothing you can yeah. do to lose it. Um, so just let delight in that and let that shape your life. And so yeah. I think that's good. I, I want to get to kind of your application of the three things that yeah. I wrote down. An invitation is actually what you called it yeah. uh, over the weekend. But um, I do feel like in response to what you're saying is that I feel like it almost feels like living by grace, not works. Like it almost feels like this tightrope. Yeah. Like, and maybe this is a bad analogy, but it just feels like I've got to kind of say center of the line and live by grace not by works, but also there's a, there's a level of wanting to do works. And I, I even think about, I th- again, I think it's uh, chapter one where, where Paul encourages the church of Philippi to um, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus yeah. Christ. So it's, it's, there is this kind of, well, it's by grace, so I don't have to do anything, but yet because of grace, I should want to do things like yeah. there's this, this tension that you walk in 
as you're living that out. So I think that that's good to highlight um, and just to even acknowledge the tension that's in that because yeah. it's it's just that there's a challenge of going, okay, grace, but I don't want to abuse that grace and works, but I don't have to do the works, but I should want to. It's just, yeah. it can get complicated. It, it does a little bit. I think Paul is just, yeah. Um, and that's why I think we have to revisit this often because, uh, yeah. and just continue to wrestle with that and look at our own lives and figure out, do I really believe in this? And, and if I do, is it changing me? Uh, but yeah. once again, I recommend uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book. He, he tackles this subject okay. very well in a way that's accessible and uh, really encouraging and inspiring to you. So, um, yeah. yeah. So then the last uh, three things that I, yeah. as long as I, I, I didn't lose my train of thought on Sunday when I watched, uh, with your invitation or your application was uh, that we need to forget what lies behind and yeah. press on, that we need to rejoice regularly and celebrate and three, that we need to journey with community. Yeah. Well, anything that you would add to those or just kind of, I guess, highlight as we yeah. kind of close? Yeah, I'll, I'll just reiterate them all. I mean, forgetting what lies ahead and pressing on, like, you know, all of our accomplishments that we put so much energy and time into, they're great, they're good. Um, but at the end of the day, like, uh, if, if they distract us from the one accomplishment that actually matters, the work that was done on the cross, and then, mm -hmm. we, then we have a problem, right? And so... Yeah. Um, just trying to forget like all of like look towards the end of the prize like you know for example if you're running a race your your end goal is the finish line and so you're always kind of looking for that finish line and you're anticipating it and you're pushing forward to get to that finish line right and so um and so paul's just encouraging us uh just pay attention to what is ahead right um we're not defined by anything that we've done we're defined by the God, grace of god and for that or because of that we can rejoice regularly just delighting in God's grace. If um, if you are experiencing a loss in your life, um, just rejoicing in the fact that uh, God is good and um, God is a God of resurrection uh, and that there's hope ahead, right? If you're experiencing pain or difficult circumstances, which let's be honest, we all are, right? Um, yeah. Just reminding ourselves of the fact that, you know, uh, the... The prize that I have in Christ uh, speaks to these situations. God is present with us in these situations, right? Um, and so just continuing to fixate your, your, your mind on this grace, fixate your attention on the end of the race, right? Um, and then, you know, sometimes we can't do that well. Like some days I will just not do that well at all. Um, and uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one who experiences that. And so I think there's just emphasis here on community. And we see kind of Paul... Uh, it's communal language to imitate someone, um, and he's writing right. to his church, right? So this is this letter is an exercise of community, and so I think, gosh, we need people in our lives who will help us do this well when we can't do it well, um, because life will throw us curveballs or just things that happen that might throw us off a little bit, you know, throw us off our game, and so to have people in your corner who can help you rejoice regularly and forget what's behind and press on is really, really monumental. So I'd recommend just like finding someone you just trust your whole, uh, you can trust your whole life with, right? Uh, and do life with them and share, be open and honest with them yeah. um, and allow yourself to journey with someone else when it gets difficult. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, I don't know. Those were kind of the invitations that I felt like Paul was giving us in response to the passage. Um, but there's a very real chance that maybe some of you have your own and I just invite you to lean into that um, because I think when we kind of get this, when we do what Paul was trying to do and fixate ourselves on a, a um, salvation by faith and grace alone, gosh, there's so much freedom in that. And just believing that helps us rejoice all the more to have joy and to yeah. experience joy. So 
Um, yeah. yeah, that's all I got for those three. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you, Christian. Really appreciate yes, your time and your expounding on that. Uh, also, I'd like to say thank you again if you're listening to us via Facebook Live, YouTube, um, you're listening on our podcast, you're looking on, listening on our website um, or watching on our website. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any questions, feel free to contact us at overtime at clcfamily.church. We'd love for you to submit any questions that you have that we can maybe get to um, while we do our podcast or whether it's pertaining to our message or not. Or I'll also say, as we are kind of continuing to, to live through this pandemic, if there's anything that we can do as a church for you, if there's any anything that we can do, please don't be afraid to contact us at the church. You can email us at info at clcfamily.church or just call the church office directly at 610-869-2140. Thank you guys for joining us. Christian, thank you for your time and for you being here with us as well. And uh, we will be wrapping up Philippians chapter four this week. And we hope that you will join us online for that. So everybody have a great week. We love you and we miss you. Take care. See you guys. Bye.